Today, we're going to talk about the importance of getting a good night's rest. And really, it's very obvious that for most of us, it's something we can improve at. But the research tells us it's almost impossible to overestimate how important sleep really is. Low-quality sleep is associated with a host of health outcomes, like increased risk of cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, and hypertension. And when it comes to work, some estimates suggest that accidents at work due to sleepiness account for about $71 billion a year in cost to the U.S. economy. We'll cover exactly how all of those things are related and what organizations and you personally can do to make sure we're getting enough Z's. I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work. A podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these things together. So today we're going to be talking about the consequences of not getting enough sleep and how that relates to the work environment and other things. We all know that getting enough sleep is important. Conventional wisdom says we need about eight hours per night. There are certain distinctions to be made between sleep quality and quantity, of course, but that's typically what, what doctors recommend. We're going to be diving a little bit deeper today into explaining why a lack of sleep actually affects your productivity at work, how it can actually cause you to make more mistakes or, or cause accidents. And we're also going to be talking about what you can do to get a better get a better night's sleep and what organizations can also do to help their employees get better sleep. And as Nick briefly covered, the first thing we want to say is that when it comes to sleep research, most of the time we're talking about two separate things. We're talking about sleep quality and sleep quantity. Quality just refers to, well, how did your sleep go last night? Did you feel like it went well? Were you disturbed? Were you tossing and turning? And sleep quantity just refers to how many hours you slept. For the most part, these are two different indices of sleep that are both similarly related to all of the outcomes we're going to be covering. But the best outcomes, the best way to actually get good sleep is to have both of those things combined into enough sleep with a high level of quality. So when we talk about those consequences, why don't we start with what happens to you personally if you don't sleep well or don't sleep enough? The consequences of not getting enough sleep or not having great quality sleep are just so numerous. So there's there's lots of research on this. They've done meta-analyses, so studies of studies. And they found that, I mean, you can basically break the consequences of negative sleep into a, a few different categories. So one of them is like the implications that poor sleep has for your own personal well-being. And so when you get less sleep, you're more stressed, you have higher negative affect. That's basically a fancy way of saying that you are in a terrible mood, you're irritable. Um, these are kind of obvious. Like when we don't get enough sleep, we wake up and you feel this. You're in a worse mood. You're more, you're more likely to be irritable. In terms of like how it affects the work itself, people are less engaged at work. So they're, they're less likely to enjoy their work, to dive in and really do their best when they don't get enough sleep. And so while these, these consequences may seem fairly obvious and we can you know, all personally relate to how you feel after a bad night's sleep, there's some interesting research done on sleep deprivation over a longer period of time. And so they found that people who slept from four to six hours a night for 14 consecutive nights actually had way, way lower cognitive performance. It's like they had the, the, the cognitive equivalent of basically going without sleep for up to three days in a row, which is, you know, incredibly severe. Despite that, the people who were in the study reported feeling only slightly sleepy and were unaware of how impaired they actually were. So chronic sleep deprivation, even if you're just lacking an hour or two per night for two weeks or so, 
it can have serious consequences for your your cognitive performance and you may not even realize it. And basically, this is one of the explanations as to why a lack of sleep or low quality sleep can lead to really negative outcomes. For example, they've done some research with construction workers finding that construction workers who are lacking about one hour of sleep a night or so were 1.62 times at a higher risk of being injured than those who were not experiencing those same sleep disturbances. So basically, these cognitive failures that come from lacking in sleep or having low sleep quality lead to lapses in attention, lapses in your memory, making it easier to forget things that are important, like safety behaviors. And ultimately, all of this can result and can add up to basically making the kinds of mistakes that can be really costly for your personal health or for your performance. And that's interesting. So what you're saying is that people tend to make more mistakes when they have a lack of sleep because they just physically can't sustain attention or concentrate for as much time as they normally would. Is that right? Yeah. And it actually, these mistakes and these errors come from both forgetting to do actions or forgetting to do things like safety behaviors and a lack of willingness to engage in those behaviors. Basically, you're lacking in the energy to do things like wear your hard hat, for example. Oh, interesting. And I guess given that it's related to a negative affect or bad mood, you might not even want to do these things because you're grumpy. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a one good way of explaining that. Okay, cool. So, so one mechanism that explains uh, the negative consequences of lack of sleep is, is this cognitive decline. But there's another mediator mechanism here that we should talk about as well, right? Yeah, and that mechanism is self-regulation, which is just really a term for having willpower. Basically, people who are lacking sleep or have had low sleep quality have lower willpower than others. And there's actually been some really interesting diary studies looking at basically people's sleep quality every day and how they behave at work suggesting that these people are not just only likely to forget to do things, but they're actually more prone to procrastination. You're lacking energy. You're lacking the ability to control yourself and do what you're supposed to do. And so you engage in more procrastination behaviors and you're less likely to do the, the behaviors you're supposed to do at work. You're less likely to perform well, basically. Yeah. And so for a lot of us who have trouble forcing ourselves to do things during the day and building good habits like exercising and things like that, getting enough sleep will actually put you in a better position to exert that willpower and make sure you follow through on your commitments and your routines. So clearly from the research, we can tell that the consequences of not sleeping well extend far beyond just feeling a little tired the next day. The consequences extend to your personal health in terms of actual physical diseases like cardiovascular disease and hypertension and ultimately bleeding to work. So if you're considering and you're really worried about making sure you're doing the best you can at work, you should probably think about what your sleep schedule looks like and what are the improvements you can make to set yourself up for success. So we chatted about how bad not getting enough sleep is in terms of your outcomes for your health and how you might perform at work. But the reality is that work itself actually interferes with our ability to get a good sleep. So that's something that we want to cover next. So there, there are lots of different things that can happen to you during the day to affect uh, your sleep. Things that stress you out and keep you awake at night. We're all pretty familiar with those like conversations that didn't go very well with people, interpersonal relationships, things like that can definitely keep you up. And these sorts of things happen at work as well. If you have a coworker who is bullying you or harassing you, the research suggests that that experience can actually interfere with your sleep and keep you awake at night. 
There are also things specifically related to the way your work is designed that can interfere with your sleep as well. And one of the major focuses of the research is on shift work. Shift work, regardless of whether you are exclusively doing shifts during the day, so whether it's a morning or an afternoon shift or, or at night, there are negative sleep consequences to working shifts. Yeah, and it seems really what's coming from the shift work paradigm is that it doesn't mean that it's because you're up all night at work. It seems to be that the lack of consistency is the real problem. In fact, research looking at people who travel for work and often switch time zones seems to come to similar conclusions about the kinds of outcomes those people have in comparison to those who engage in shift work. It's the lack of consistency, the lack of a pattern, whether you're working all night or whether you're basically going from a morning shift to an evening shift to an afternoon shift sometimes, that seems to be really causing this issue of sleep disturbances and low sleep quality. So like we said, the two main things seem to be that shift work is really difficult in terms of adjusting to it. And also workplace harassment and bullying and having poor relationships with your coworkers also seems to influence the quality of your sleep. Lastly, though, there seems to be some evidence that loneliness and isolation at work actually also interferes with your sleep quality. Yeah, another um, major focus of researchers has been the consequences of feelings of loneliness or isolation on sleep quality. And so when people report feeling, you know, a lack of relatedness and a lack of interaction with people, it actually has negative consequences for their sleep. There are two ways of looking at this. The first is in the way the work is designed itself. So if you spend a lot of time working alone, and there are individual differences here, but generally everyone needs some extent or, or some amount of, of human interaction. The work itself can actually, um, if it's too isolating, it can negatively affect your sleep because you, you start feeling lonely and you have these, uh, this, this negative psychological state. There is a very popular theory in psychology, I think that we've probably brought up before, called self-determination theory, which describes the universal human needs that we all have. One of those needs is a need for relatedness. We have a need to interact and be around other humans. We are social creatures. And so that feeling of loneliness or isolation can actually affect us so negatively that we, we have a harder time sleeping. Relatedly, if we feel ostracized, and this is, this is kind of related to the, the harassment and bullying, if we feel ostracized or ignored, that has negative consequences for sleep as well. And because we spend a lot of our lives at work, as we just covered in the research, it's really easy for our work to ultimately interfere with our ability to sleep. Conversely, organizations then have the opportunity to set up the right environment to encourage their employees to get a good sleep as well. And so given that there, there are a lot of things at work that can interfere with your sleep, it makes sense that organizations are uh, more interested in helping their employees or encouraging them to get more sleep. These are called sleep management programs. And there is a poll administered by the Reward and Benefits Association in the UK. They ask about organizations' intent to basically start a sleep management program. And about 40% of respondents said they would be interested in doing that in 2016. And that doubled to about 88% in 2017. So organizations have an increasing or, or growing interest in encouraging or helping their employees get better sleep. And following from what we know in terms of the research, one of the main things that organizations can do is have greater social support for their employees. You can imagine how this is easily tied to loneliness at work and even workplace harassment. Basically making sure that you have a system that is set up to provide employees with the support that they need 
to be feel like they are cared for, to feel like they are valued at the organization, that they belong at the organization is one of the major ways that the organizations can go out of their way to improve the conditions for employees to get better sleep. And so when it comes to helping employees get more social support at work, there are different angles that organizations can tackle this from. A good first step is to start collecting data on employees' feelings of belongingness and interpersonal treatment at work. A lot of organizations do this. It's included as uh, a question in their employee engagement survey or employee satisfaction survey. This helps you identify if there are certain groups of people um, or certain areas in the organization where the sense of belongingness or, or, or relatedness is low. This kind of gives you a sense of, of where to look and, and where to focus your efforts. And in terms of actually what to do, organizations can offer bias training to managers to make sure that all employees are included regardless of their personal background. And also remote employees is another um, area that organizations can look. So employees who work outside of the office consistently may feel less socially supported than others. So it's important to potentially keep a close eye on them and build in techniques and strategies to make those remote individuals feel more included. And we actually talk a little bit about that in our in our 9 to 5 episode or our, on flexible work arrangements, which can be good if employees have control, but if they're, if they're consistently um, away from the rest of the organization, that can breed feelings of loneliness. In relation to sleep in particular, one of the things that organizations can do is start a sleep management program that is based on outreach and focus on preventing sleep problems from developing. So the best way to do that would be to make sure that they provide information about how important sleep is and inform their employees as to what are the actual consequences of not getting enough sleep and not getting good quality sleep. Another important component of that would be to make it clear that sleep problems are actually really common. Some research suggests that up to one third of U.S. adults actually suffer from pretty serious symptoms of sleep deprivation. They often don't get enough sleep throughout the weekend. They try to make for it on the weekend. And we know from research that that's probably not the best way to approach that. And finally, when it comes to shift work, which we discussed is one of the, the main things that can cause sleep issues, is if organizations pay attention to their employees' individual differences in terms of chronotype, which is your basically your, your level of morningness or eveningness when you naturally wake up and when you naturally go to sleep. So, you know, we've all heard people say that, oh, I'm a morning person or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a night owl. This is what chronotype is referring to. So organizations can actually pay attention to their employees' preferences for the sleep-wake cycle and then match their shifts to align with that chronotype and they'll be healthier and happier as a result. Now, we can't expect organizations to take on all of their responsibility for improving employee sleep. So one of the things we wanted to talk about is, well, what is it that we can actually do ourselves to improve our sleep? And really, the research suggests that the best place to start is to make sure you're getting at least seven hours of sleep a night. Now, there is some research that suggests that there are individual differences. Some people need as little as six or as much as nine. But basically, the risks associated with real serious health outcomes like diabetes and obesity and hypertension start to decline precipitously as soon as you reach about seven hours of sleep a night. So that's a good place to start if you want to start taking the idea of getting better sleep into your own hands. So aside from making sure that you get enough sleep in terms of, of hours or duration, there's also a lot of things you can do to ensure that you get a better quality sleep as well. Things like limiting screen time before bed is a really good practice because there's research showing that, and this is pretty well known now, that when you're looking at electronics, watching television right before bed, you have a harder time getting to sleep and your, your, your sleep quality goes down. The other main thing you can do is actually engage in exercise as a way to make sure that you get a better night's sleep. 
Now, the research suggests you shouldn't do this too close to bedtime, but simply walking, vigorous walking is a good way to get enough exercise to actually improve your sleep quality dramatically. Additionally, there was a really neat study that was published just this year at the University of Texas. There was a systematic review that was done based on over 5,000 studies of previous like sleep data. And they found that if you take a warm shower between 105 to 109 degrees Fahrenheit, or about 40 to 43 degrees Celsius, about one to two hours before bed, about 90 minutes or so on average, you will get a better sleep. And the reason being is that warm baths and showers actually stimulate the body's thermoregulatory system. And this increases circulation in your blood away from the internal core of the body. And so you get more blood flow in your hands and feet. And this results in a more efficient removal of your body heat before bed. We have natural, slight natural changes in terms of our body temperature uh, across the day. So at night, our body temperature goes down slightly. And then in the morning, it goes up and uh, reaches its, its peak um, in the middle of the day. And so taking the shower basically helps your body shut down. That is a really interesting uh, way to maybe make sure you, you, you set yourself up for a better sleep. Now, here's the important thing. We have gone out of our way to rattle all of these things that you can do individually to make yourself have a better chance at a good night's sleep. But how many of these things do you actually do, Nick? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so let's talk about our personal sleep hygiene. Mine is not great, I'll be honest. I mean, I spend a lot of time on electronics. I do my best to exercise regularly, but my occupation and a lot of my hobbies are quite sedentary. Um, I spend, I have, I've got a lot of screen time. And so I use tools like Flux to adjust the, uh, the color hue basically of my monitor before bed to eliminate the amount of blue light that's coming out. Not sure how effective that is really. I also, so this is, this is kind of cheesy, but I have these, uh, these glasses from Felix Gray that are blue light blocking glasses. I have perfect vision. I don't need glasses at all, but I wear these glasses just because it apparently blocks blue light. And I'm not sure how like research back that is. I was like, well, better, better safe than sorry in the long run. Um, but I call them my safety glasses because <laughs> they, they basically, <laughs> they help me with my health, but I don't need a prescription. So that's another thing I do. So anecdotally, I guess, from your own experience, is there any one of those particular things that seems to work best for you? Did you find that, you know, starting wearing the glasses or, or using flux in particular has actually helped you uh, feel like you're getting sleepier quicker? I wouldn't say the, the glasses or flux really help with sleep. Like this is completely just my subjective perception of it. Subjectively, the glasses definitely helped reduce eye strain. Um, I've noticed that when I'm spending long hours looking at the computer and I have those glasses on versus I don't, my eye strain goes down, which has been very helpful. Obviously, avoiding caffeine and alcohol are, are crucial for having a good sleep as well. And my caffeine hygiene, I, I consume a lot of caffeine as well. So that's, that's not great. I, I'm a person who has tried to reduce their caffeine intake as well. Um, but I find that the only thing that has really worked for me in terms of improving my sleep, and it's only somewhat worked, has been to kind of set a hard deadline for how long I'm going to be on my screen. I, I'm a person who stays up very late often. So what I've, I started doing is saying, okay, well, obviously I don't have the willpower, probably because I'm sleepy, to stop myself from going on my computer or my mm. screen like in bed right before it's time to go to sleep. So what I've decided to do is set myself like a hard deadline. Um, so usually that gives me about like an hour, hour and a half. 
that has worked much better than previously where I would just say, oh, I'll just kind of go when I start feeling sleepy. I'll just kind of shut the computer and go to sleep then. Because it usually meant that I would be up to 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning in bed, like when I'm supposed to be sleeping. Instead, setting saying, well, it's, you know, it's 10 o'clock now. I'm, I'm giving myself an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. No matter what, at that point, I'm going to sleep. Um, has actually worked a little bit better than I expected. And not to put words in your mouth, but you have a very flexible work schedule um, that probably works against you in a sense that you can kind of work whenever you need to or when you want to. Absolutely, yeah. And it's one of those things where, like like you said, if, if I end up staying up to like 2 a.m. that night and the next morning I get up, I do a couple of morning things and I feel like I need to have a morning nap, I can, right? I have that advantage. Um, but I feel like whenever I do engage in that, I feel like it's even harder to fall asleep that evening at a reasonable time. So I'm the kind of person that avoids naps at all costs because I can't have a 20 minute nap, which is the optimal nap time you're supposed to have according to research. My naps quickly turn into two hours, which throws everything off. Yeah, I think we probably have, if I was to take a guess, we probably have similar chronotypes. Um, I am a night owl and I don't do napping well either. I would much rather just like deal with the day and go through it and not nap because my naps turn into like two, three hours as well. And then I wake up and I feel incredibly groggy and awful. And so it's just better to not sleep in the first place. Yeah. And it always takes you like a three or four hours for me to feel like I'm back up to like full awake mode. And at that point, it's again, 11 o'clock. You should probably be going to sleep like regular people do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I think chronotype is maybe more important than we realize, but it's hard to adjust yourself when the rest of the world operates on a different schedule than you do. Yeah, that's true. The reality is that most people work nine to five, right? Or even earlier than that. So in order to, you have to kind of work within the constraints of what your tendencies are to make make it so you have enough sleep, have a good quality sleep mm-hmm. and still operate when you feel most productive. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think it goes back to what we're saying about consistency of routine and making sure that you keep the same schedule. That's really the most important thing. Yeah. So one of the major things that prevents me from falling asleep is I ruminate very well, as, as well as you can be at a skill that is actually detrimental to your health. <laughs> but one of the things that has worked against doing that, so against the idea of just kind of sitting in bed and then getting caught up and thinking about things that really don't matter in the moment. There's nothing you can do about, you know, some future problem or where something has happened in the past by thinking about it now at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night. Yeah. One of the things that has worked well for that is to kind of engage your mind with something else beforehand. So one of the, the suggestions that I'd seen online before was, well, if you tend to ruminate about work before bed, make your to-do list then. I've actually have implemented that on the weekends mostly because that's when I find it hardest to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So Sunday nights, one of the things I will do in that hour and a half on my laptop or on my phone is I will make my to-do list for the week then. So I really recommend that if you find that that's difficult for you. That makes sense. That's kind of like giving your brain permission to park it because you've you've put it down and now you can forget about it and go to sleep. Yeah, you did it. Hey, it's done. You don't have to kind of spend all this time thinking about it because you're not going to remember in the morning anyway. It's just going to stop you from sleeping now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're going to leave it there for now. What What is clear is that we both have various things to work on in terms of our sleep hygiene. So in the spirit of practicing what we preach and getting better sleep, Jose and I are going to download a sleep tracking app. These are the the phone applications that basically record your night's sleep to assess sleep quality. Uh, there are two of them that we would recommend. Uh, one is called Sleep Score. The other one is Sleep Cycle. And so if you're not concerned about, you know, uh, having your data recorded necessarily while you sleep, um, these are interesting and potentially useful tools to assess your sleep quality. So we're going to download these and see what our sleep quality is and try and improve it. 
and then we'll we will join you guys again in maybe a month or so to record an unscripted episode on this and and kind of talk about how we did and if these are actually useful or not and if it actually improved how we work and this is not homework but if you want to follow along with us download an app either sleep score or sleep cycle and see how you measure up in terms of sleep quality we encourage you to do it it could potentially be uh, a great step in the right direction of creating a good sleep hygiene routine of course, we always love to hear your thoughts about the podcast or even ideas for new ones. So you can always reach us at mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet at mindyourwork.io. We'll have some links to some of those apps in our show notes as well. So you can always check that out and we'll make sure to link to our nine to five episode, which actually links really well to this idea of sleep quality, flexible work arrangements and the nine to five work day are a good way to start thinking about what we can do to improve our sleep as well. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. And if you think about, um, blah, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, <laughs> plus also. We have lots of bloopers. Oh my God, so many. (laughs) I'm going to save them for future episodes.